Um, this week, we come to a chapter four, which is called Apprehending God. Apprehending God. You know, we've looked thus far at what it, does it mean to pursue God? Is it that even biblical? And we looked at the fact that we respond to the urge that the Holy Spirit puts in us and that we have our part to play to respond to that. We looked at um, the place of possessing nothing, that God is all that we want to possess. And then last week, we looked at removing the veil. You know, God has removed the veil from the temple when Jesus died on the cross. In that moment, the, the, the veil in the temple was torn in two. God removed that barrier between God and man. Why? Because Jesus paid the price for us, that sacrifice, that once and sufficient sacrifice. And his righteousness was given unto us. But we looked at the fact that oftentimes we hold back because of the veil within our own hearts. Those, those very subtle self-sins that cause us to shrink back, self-sufficiency, self-righteousness, and self-pity, and all those kind of things. And so we get to the point in the book around, okay, what does it mean to actually experience God then? What does it mean to apprehend God? And we have been singing a number of songs in this set around that, haven't we? We've been saying, Lord, would you come? We want to be in your presence. We want to experience you more. Spirit, would you break out? We've been, that set was very much a set of praying to God and and, and, and just saying, Lord, we want you more. And I, would, I don't need to be prophetic to know that a large percentage of you in this room and indeed of you online are in that place of saying, Lord, I want to experience you more. But the question is, what does that look like? And that's what A.W. Tozer does for us this morning. Now, I'll be honest with you. Um, I, I really struggled with this talk this morning. In fact, even as late as this morning, I was trying, I'm like, you know what, Lord, I've got, I've got, I had like countless notes. So this talk is either going to be the best talk you've ever heard or the worst talk you've ever heard, all right? Because I just have no idea where this is going. And, and I think part of that reason is I've just had this sense that, I don't know, I just, that God is moving and I've got to really try my best to get out of the way and let God do his stuff. Um, you know, oh man. Shall I just, I'm just going to be completely honest with you. I mean, it doesn't say in the Bible that you've got to do a 30-minute talk after worship and then you've got to keep, oh, just sometimes I'm like, am I just creating words for the sake of it, Lord, you know? Yes, thank you, darling. <clears throat> but do you get the heart of what I'm trying to say here? This is not a program we come to. It's not an outline of a formula that we have. Bless you, brother. I take that as encouragement. You know, we've made spiritual... I'm just going to go for it. We've made this Christian religion into such a formulaic, religious, traditional approach to pursuing God when it isn't about the worship and the thing and the thing. Yeah, that's all important, but... God, would you move? Holy Spirit, would you break out? Would you, you know, you read revivals in the past and, you know, the Azusa Street Revival, and we're going to talk about Asper in a moment if I ever get to that point. Um, and, you know, um, the pastor, I've forgotten his name at the moment, I, um, he would, Seymour, he would just be at the front with a, with a shoebox over his head. Because he didn't want to get in the way and he didn't want to get involved and God was moving and things were happening. I mean, 
when A.W. Tozer is talking about pursuing God, he's talking about pursuing a living, breathing God that is alive today. And, you know, the start of this chapter opens up talking about the fact that most people today, when they think about a God, they infer that there must be a God. There, there is a deduction that God exists. Um, you, know, I, I've, you know, the I believe in God statement is because there must be a God. I was re- I'm reading a book at the moment, and, um, and I've, I read a book recently about the um, discovery of the double helix in the DNA. Um, Watson and Crick. And the surprise that there's code written in there that must necessitate some kind of intelligent design. <laughs> anyway, I was reading this book last night as I was in bed, and there was a quote from um, this Australian computer scientist an artificial intelligence researcher, Hugo de Garris, and he said this, our universe, and he's an atheist, our universe is the product, the creation of a pre-existing deity, a hyper-intelligence that conceived our universe's law of physics that, that are compatible with matter and life and built our universe according to those laws. Go figure. You just figure that out. You should have read the Bible. It saved you a lot of time. But the point I'm trying to make is scientists are starting to discover the fact that life cannot exist out of non-life. I mean, that's just common sense, quite frankly. And so when people talk about a belief in a God, people are kind of deducing and inferring that God exists. But as a Christian, you have to go further than that. Because as a Christian, our faith requires us to go further than a statement of deduction and actually a conclusion about some kind of God or force, and say, actually, we believe in the personality of God. We pray, our Father, right. Our Father, that means he has a personality. There is fatherhood. That means we are children. That means this God is a personable God who wants a relationship with his people, his children. And so when we pursue God, we're not pursuing high intellect and deduction about some cosmic force that must have been intelligent and therefore created us. We're we're pursuing a relationship with a God who loves us. You know, um, Tozer makes the point that the problem with that statement is that for many Christians, we stay in the place of theology and doctrine and never move to personal experience. In fact, he says this, they, being those type of Christians, go through their life trying to love an ideal and be loyal to a mere principle. You know, the Bible makes it clear that God can be known in personal experience. You know, as you read the Bible, what you see as its central theme is a loving personality walking amongst the trees with his people, appearing to his people, wanting to be intimately involved with the lives of his people. When we pursue God, we are pursuing a relationship with a God who is seeking us and pursuing us. And you know, the same terms used, and Tozer makes this point, the same terms used to express physical things are used to express God. Did you know this? The experience of God. Let's look at someone. They'll be on the screen. Psalm 34, 8. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Taste, see, not know, experience. Psalm 45, 8, all thy garments smell of myrrh and alloys and cassia. They smell, I experience, not just mere knowledge. 
John 12, 10, 27, Jesus says what? My sheep, what? That means you speak, God. Matthew 5, 8, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. And more important than specific verses, the whole narrative of the Bible is about a God who instigates a rescue mission to restore relationship with that's, that's what it's about, okay? So when we talk about pursuing God, we're not talking about pursuing theological position about God. We're not talking about praying to an ideal. We're not, we're not talking about a principle. We are talking about pursuing a God who can be experienced, okay? Now, what, how does this work? Well, we have in our hearts, did you know, the means by which we can actually experience God as certainly as we can experience this material world. You know, we apprehend the, spiritual, spirit, the physical world with our five senses, don't we? What is it? Taste, touch, sight, sound, smell. Is that it? Good. Well done, you passed the science test today. All gold stars for you. <laughs> now, what if I told you we possess spiritual faculties that enable us to experience God? You know, the urge of God in the urge that God places in us is evidence of that. The fact that we feel that urge to seek God is an evidence of the fact that we can experience God. You know, you don't have an urge unless it can be satisfied. An urge doesn't exist without its fulfillment with something. Did you know that? You don't thirst for water. You thirst for water because water can satisfy you. You don't thirst for petroleum because you're not made to have petroleum. You don't hunger out of the chairs out there in the atrium made of wood. You hunger for food. So that which you hunger for is evidence of its existence. If you're hungering after God and you feel that urge to pursue God, that in itself is evidence that God is there to fulfill and satisfy you. So how does it work? Let's talk about some, how that works practically. Who's heard the word regeneration? You know, when we become saved, the Bible uses one of the words is that we are regenerated. What this means is that the spirit of man is made alive where once it was dead. That's what it means to be born again. We are regenerated. We become a new creation. You know, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? The old has gone, the new has That is regeneration, you see, because when sin came in, we died spiritually and we couldn't pursue God. We couldn't experience God. We we didn't have those spiritual faculties. They had died. And so when you become a Christian, when you respond to the urge of God and you say, yes, all of a sudden, your spiritual faculties, which were once dead, come alive again and we can experience God. You know, A.W. Tozer says this, the soul has eyes with which to see and ears with which to hear. Feeble they may be from long disuse, but by the life-giving touch of Christ, alive now and capable of sharper sight and most sensitive hearing. As we begin to focus upon God, the things of the Spirit will take shape before 
our inner eyes. So how do we experience God? Well, we can experience God by our hearts being moved by him, can't we? He directs our paths and puts us in situations where only God could do it. Have you had that in your life? That was a, we use that phrase, that was a God thing. I sat next to so-and-so and we had this kind of conversation and I don't know how it happened, but here I am now. It's got to be God. He guides us by speaking to our hearts or through people. I just got a real sense that God said I should do this and you do it and something happens. Or someone sits next to you and says, you know, I feel God is saying this to you. That is God moving. That is us experiencing God. You know, when you feel prompted to go and pray for somebody and you pray for them and they are blessed by that and sometimes they're healed. That is you experiencing God. That is our spiritual faculties hearing the voice of God saying, you need to go and pray for that person. That is experiencing God. He comforts us with peace. Have you ever had an experience where your world is in turmoil and yet you have such a peace that words cannot describe? I can see lots of heads nodding. What is that? That is experiencing the living God. That is your spiritual faculties being awakened to the comfort of the Holy Spirit in our lives. But also we experience God as he changes us to become more like Christ. You know, he produces in us the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5.22, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, self-control, faithfulness, gentleness, all of those things. That is us experiencing the work of the Holy Spirit in us to conform us to the likeness of God's Son. I was speaking to someone recently. They said, you know, I can look back at the moment I said yes to Jesus. I don't know how it happened, but I could see that work of sanctification. In other words, that process of becoming more like Christ. And he said, I know God is there and I know he's working in me because I can see what he's done in my life. That is what it means to experience God. As we set our face to pursue him and we allow his spirit to work in our hearts as we die to self. I heard someone recently in a talk say, you know, how comes modern Christianity has all, all now become about finding yourself when the Bible says it's all about dying to self? How did that happen? <laughs> and I think he's got a point. We find life when we die to self. And so when we make that decision, and I know we're going deep, I know you're up for it, but when we set our face on pursuing God and responding to the urge of God to seek him, and we say, I die to all things. That is when we allow the Holy Spirit in us to conform us to the likeness of God's Son. And of course, we experience his love. You know, I remember John Wesley. Of course, we know John Wesley in the, in the Great Awakening here in the UK. And his brother Charles wrote those beautiful hymns. And John Wesley, when he became a Christian, he went to a Bible study. And what was happening was, is the person leading the Bible study was reading the commentary to Romans, and in that moment, John Wesley said he felt his heart strangely warmed. I think in modern vernacular, he would say, it was awesome! Something amazing happened, but you know, of course, Wesley back in 1800, strangely warmed. <laughs> I like that. What is that if it is not the Spirit of God moving in our hearts that we experience him? Who wants more of that? Good answer. But still, there are other ways that we experience God.
You know, around us lies a spiritual kingdom as real as what we see with our five senses. uh, Tozer says this, it encloses us, embraces us altogether within reach of our inner selves. And sometimes this spiritual world breaks in, in ways in which we actually experience this spiritual world with our physical senses. And God's presence, which is all around us, in fact, the next chapter is called the universal presence of God, not to be consumed with pantheism that says God is in all things and therefore everything is divine. No, but the omniscience, the omnipresence of God means that he is all around us, but there are moments where his Shekinah glory, his manifest presence so breaks in that we experience, we see, and we hear, and we taste things with our physical senses. But we have a problem, Toza says, because deep down we don't actually think this spiritual realm is real. Deep down we say, oh yeah, there's spiritual forces. But we think it's some otherworldly thing that's elsewhere when we don't realize that it's in parallel to where we are now. Different dimension, if you like. A.W. Tozer says this, at the root of the Christian life lies belief in the invisible. The object of the Christian's faith is unseen reality. Our uncorrected thinking, influenced by the blindness of our natural hearts and the intrusive ubiquity of visible things. In other words, because all we see about is the visible stuff around us, we think that's more real than the stuff we can't see. It tends, therefore, to draw a distinction between the spiritual and the real, but actually no distinction exists. And I think as Christians, unbelief has set us in so subtly that we don't even think it's real and therefore we don't even seek a spiritual experience. We don't even seek. And we, who pray, spirit, break out. Break our walls down. What on earth do you think you're praying for? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What on earth do you think you're praying for? I'd like to read, like last week, Um, I heard uh, Hannah Mann-Smith had an experience here in the auditorium last last week during the worship, and I asked her to write it down, and I'm grateful she did, and I want to read it to you. And it says this, I've never seen a vision like this before, and it was so clear, it was tangible. During the worship, I could feel a strong presence of the Lord, and about halfway through the worship, I looked to the stage and saw two enormous angels either side of the stage. These angels stood floor to ceiling in height. They were pure gold. They held spears the size of them and had a shield in front of them, which stood from the floor to their chins. These angels wore helmets and long garments that looked like golden tapestry. The detail on their shields and garments were a work of art, unlike anything I've ever seen. They stood looking out onto the congregation in between the stage and the double wooden doors either side. I have never witnessed anything like this before and was so overwhelmed. They immediately started to cry with joy and humility, feeling completely at peace. When I got home, I tried to research images of angels, golden angels, but found nothing that resembled these angels that I saw. There was a real sense sense of spiritual warfare on Sunday. 
And I feel these angels were there fighting in the spirit for us and with us. You know, there are moments where God grants us the ability to see what's happened in the spiritual. Remember, is it Elisha and his servant when they were, Israel was at war and God said, listen, let my servant see what I see. And all of a sudden he saw the heavenly angel army there. There is a spiritual world around us. I want to explain, I want to just tell you what happened this morning. I went into Ventureland and we pray together. Um, all the teams get together before the service, all the pastors and we pray. And I went into Ventureland and Martin was there. Martin um, works in our treasure chest ministry, our send ministry. I said, how are you today? He said, great. I said, I said something's been going on in this room. Right, so I walked in the room and he said, ever since last week, oil has been appearing on all the mats. He said, we've been very careful to make sure that we've checked this. We've wiped them all down and then they'll appear. And I looked down and there is oil. And, I, and as we are praying, oil is appearing. And I had it on my fingers. And I'd wipe it off and then more oil would appear. What do you think that is? It's the anointing of God, the Holy Spirit in this place. That is the spiritual realm breaking in. Oil appearing. And I'm sure many of you have had encounters or experiences of God in that real physical sense. Now, what I've been very careful to do this morning and what I want to be careful to do, and I think charismatics can sometimes err in this and in danger of doing so, is that we emphasize so much the supernatural that we minimize the everyday extraordinary with God. When we talk about experiencing God, I want revival, but it starts in our hearts. I want to be in that place where I'm obedient to God every day. I want to experience his leading and prompting and me being obedient to that. I don't want us chasing those experiences, great though they are, because they are a product and a fruit of us seeking God first and living a life of holiness and a life of obedience to him. And so when we talk about encountering God, I want to ask you a question. Are you encountering God in the morning with your Bible? Are you encountering God by praying and seeking his face? We pray for revival and we want that in this place, but have you got it in your home and in your hearts? And I share that only because I feel challenged by that. Let's talk about Asbury. Who's been seeing the revival in that university in Asbury? Who's seen that? Amazing. It started on February 8th, and some students decided to stay after the service, and it's been going on ever since. And 24-7 worship and prayer of God just breaking in and hearing accounts of just the peace of God in that place. It's a, you know, a, a movement of, it's not hyped. It's not a program, that, a revival program that's been put together and advertised to come along on Monday and Tuesday. It's a, a move of the spirit. And I read an article this morning um, entitled, History Repeats. Could the Asbury revival last 100 years, like the Moravian revival in Germany? And I want, to, I want to read this to you because I think it's very interesting. It's not winding down, observed Craig Keener some days ago during the heights of the fervor. 
Keener is a widely regarded biblical studies scholar at Asbury Theological Seminary, a separate institution across the street from the university. He said this, people have been praying for it for years. Every revival looks very different, but it always preceded by the same thing. Hungry souls that are pursuing God. He said this, I was hoping it would happen before I retired. And then he said this, it started with the students. I think they're the most important component. He talked about mentoring our youth. There is something happening with youth and young adults. I was, uh, who, who knows the story of the Jesus movement back in the 70s? Some of you are old enough to have been there. I clearly am not. Um, well, I was born in the 70s. But... <laughs> um, Lonnie Frisbee, who's heard of Lonnie Frisbee? Instrumental in the Jesus movement, uh, many of others, and um, Chuck Smith, Calvary Chapel, was impacted by that movement when Lonnie Frisbee brought a load of yobos, youth hippies, however you want to call them, to Chuck Smith's house. Said, hey, check this song out that we've written about God. And then Lonnie Frisbee later on went and impacted the vineyard movement. In fact, he came one evening to Wimber's church, on Wimber's church, and, uh, and uh, he just spoke and he said at the end of the service, come Holy Spirit, and everyone fell over. And Wimber at the time said, oh my word, what's just gone on? And he spent the whole night going through church history and found that that was quite common because he had a meeting with the elders the next day because they wanted to know what on earth was going on. Why am I bringing this up? Because in a few weeks' time, there's a new movie being released called Jesus Revolution. And it's based on Greg Laurie, who is now a Calvary Chapel pastor, Harvest Christian Fellowship, who was one of the youths at the time under Chuck Smith. And I find it very interesting. And Kelsey Grammer plays Chuck Smith. You know Kelsey Grammer from Frasier Frame. And uh, the guy that's playing Lonnie Frisbee in that movie is the actor that plays Jesus in Chosen. In Chosen. They had done this movie for months, and yet it's coming out around the same time that we're getting a movement with our young adults in this university. I find that interesting. And Debbie Wright, um, Debbie and John Wright, as you know, the national directors of the Vineyard Movement in the UK. Debbie was out at Asbury. She came back a couple of few days ago and wrote an article in Christianity magazine. And she said, God is doing something while they're under 25s. And Debbie and I had a, a back and forth on email about something. And she said to me on her last email, Mark, go and find the young adults. Go and find the young adults. Last night, our worship pastor, Eduardo, was leading worship and part of the worship band at King's Cross Baptist Church. And that whole week, there was a mission for young adults. And at the end of that service last night, do you know what happened? The young adults went out the doors and went speaking on the streets about Jesus. Something is happening with our young adults. They are more hungry than we are, quite frankly. And that is a challenge for all of us. Something is happening. Something is happening. They are hungry to experience a living encounter with Jesus. Jesus said, if you see me, you've seen the Father. We are here to represent Jesus. Not the way the world has represented Jesus, but let us represent who Jesus is. You see me, you've seen the Father. I've been struggling to know how to land this talk but I want to get to 2 Chronicles 
And in fact, if you look at social media, Debbie Wright on the back of her trip to Asbury used this to exhort the church. And she said this, and this is what it says in 2 Chronicles. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and heal the land. Can I suggest that if you want to encounter Jesus, if you want to encounter the living God, then a good place to start is in repentance and humility. Do we want to experience God in our lives? Do we want revival in our hearts and our lives? Do we want to see his spirit break out? Do we want to see heaven come down? Do we want to see the lost being saved? For that is the mission of the church. We get so distracted with trying to save everything else and we don't save souls. Where does it start? We're sorry, we've messed up. We want to change our direction and head towards you. We come in humble adoration because we haven't got it all. We don't know what we're doing, quite frankly, and we need you here. I'd like to invite the band up as we stand.